Welcome to ADHD Flourishing, about living awesomely with autism and ADHD. You deserve recognition for both the challenges and the superpowers of this unique neurotype. Let's celebrate wisdom and support from real-life stories, and talk strategies to manage the difficulties of day-to-day life, so we can move beyond that to thriving and building a sustainable and awesome life. If you want to be here, you are accepted here, and you belong. I'm your ADHD host, Mattia Murray. Let's do this. Welcome to my guest, Danielle Aubin. She is a therapist uh, who does perinatal work. And I found her, uh, you know, I'm not pregnant, nor am I ever capable of becoming pregnant, but I found Danielle's great content on TikTok about being autistic as a therapist. And in particular, the post that I saw that I was like, oh my God, I have to invite her was one about networking where he said it was just something that was like, I would rather have zero income than like traditionally network. And I was like, oh my God, do I have the audience for you? (laughs) (laughs) Yay. So is there anything you would like to add about yourself or your work or how you're thinking about yourself right now? Yeah, I mean, just that although I am specialized in perinatal work, that that is not all I do. And I I just got off the phone with also someone who will probably never be in the perinatal period nor pregnant, uh, who is going to come into therapy with me. So I think overall, I consider myself an autistic therapist for neurodivergent people. I feel like it took me a while to get to that point, but that's, that's where I feel like professionally, that's, those are the people I work with. I have a specialization in trauma, which I think in many cases is connected with neurodivergence in so many ways and uh, perinatal, because that's also the period I am in or emerging from. So I really have two specialties, but like an umbrella of just like neurodivergence. So I have people coming in all walks of life, but that connection of neurodivergence, being autistic. Uh, so yeah, so it's a little, I guess I'm broadening in that sense of my, my specialty population, if you will. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I know I have listeners who are actively looking for therapists. So I hope that, well, they, although they may not be in the States. So you're, what States are you licensed in? So right now I'm California, which is where I'm based. Uh, although I only do telehealth, but so I'm California, then Minnesota, Arkansas, and then Florida. I am not licensed in Florida, but I am registered as a telehealth provider. So I can provide telehealth therapy for people in Florida. Uh, so those are the main states where I'm fully able to give someone you know, therapy as much as they need, no limits. Uh, and then I have a limited capacity of giving people therapy uh, through telehealth who reside in Arizona. Okay. Very cool. And actually, this reminds me that I went, once I knew that you were going to be on the podcast, I was like, Ooh, I would love to start putting together, I don't know, like a spreadsheet or something of like autistic therapists. Yes, there is one website, which I feel like is emerging. It's not as sophisticated as like psychologytoday.com, but ND, so like for neurodivergent therapists, plural.com. Uh, I think it's run by one person, a clinician, and they are continuously adding people, but it's not like you get to like search and it's, and it's limited. And that may also be due to clinicians, maybe not necessarily being as open. Like you said, you can look for therapists right. and they say like neurodivergence affirming, but it isn't really clear if they're also neurodivergent identified, which for a lot of us, that's important, you know, than just being like neurodivergent aware or like, yep. what does neurodivergence affirming mean, right? It could be interpreted so many different ways. So um, we have yet to have a very like searchable, sophisticated, very populated, high trafficked website, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm looking at this now. This is awesome. I will definitely put this in the show notes, but I didn't even come across this when I was searching. So that's, you yeah. know. SEO. The SEO, yeah, the SEO, I don't think is there. Again, it's like one person, perhaps not very, yeah. I, I don't know what their tech background is, but I think, you know, usually us clinicians for the most part are not the most tech. Yeah. Fan. I'm not. Yeah. So <laughs> just assuming. <laughs> awesome. So what are you passionate about right now? And this 
does not have to be related to your work. It's just like anything that comes up for you. Like, what are you excited about these days? Well, definitely going into being uh, in private practice. I've been in mental health for over a decade. And I think a lot of us clinicians and people in general, like going into business for yourself is scary. The economy looks like, you know, not ideal in so many ways, but I am, I'm passionate about challenging myself to actually like, I'm going to leave a corporate there, like I'm therapist in a corporation right now. And I'm going to transition out of that into full-time private practice. So I'm very just excited about also learning about SEO and like getting myself out there and letting people know that there are, you know, there's another autistic therapist here who um, can serve more people. So I'm excited about that. I'm extremely passionate about gentle parenting or non-coercive parenting, conscious parenting, whatever you want to call it. I have uh, two children. I'm extremely passionate about breaking the cycle, which is extremely difficult. (laughs) I don't know how else to describe that. Like it's, it's both something I'm passionate about and extremely uh, challenged by. And, and part of the work I do, why I started with perinatal therapy in the beginning, although now I feel like I'm kind of branching into the larger neurodivergent client population that isn't necessarily parents or perinatal people, uh, was because I was working with older adults and just watching people through the life cycle. I was working a lot with um, hospice and you know uh, adult protective services and things like that. And I was just realizing how much childhood trauma was just so like just extremely impactful, right? Yeah. Like for so many people. And I was like, I want to, I want to work at the other end of this too. Like instead of working with 80 year olds and 90 year olds, you know, who have led a whole life of reaction and to trauma and, and so much pain, I wanted to perhaps like coach parents before they even have children. Right. So that was my whole thing. Of course, now I've kind of like broadened a little bit, but the idea is the same. It's just kind of like helping people change paths, like change these cycles that we've kind of been put on by past generations and intergenerational trauma, historical trauma, et cetera, and like uh, healing as much as we can, and then uh, potentially preventing harm to like future generations. So that's in a nutshell yes. what I'm what I what I think about all the time my special interests, if you will, what I get obsessed about. (laughs) Yeah. I got really like exactly what you're describing. I was thinking about that so much. Like how do we, you know, cut this stuff off at the past basically, right? Like get, you know, kind of intervene. And like, I was trying to think about ways that my work, um, you know, before I started this podcast, my, so primarily my work as a, you know, composer basically I was like what can I as a composer do about the trauma problem and I started creating this little YouTube series for kids about trauma about because I as a traumatized child with very unsafe parents and like and I was homeschooled and they homeschooled us partly so they could hit us which they told us which I thought was very weird I remember as a kid being like you can't just say that but like you know that's the <laughs> the mentality is like we're doing nothing wrong right and mm-hmm. just thinking about how different it is for kids who have access to the internet now, who in theory could come across information, like what I was trying to put together. And I only made a couple of these, but it was basically like, you know, what you're experiencing is uh, normal and like, but it's not your fault, right? Also kind of like getting that in there, but it's so hard too with kids because um, like, I think you're doing the right thing and getting the parents before <laughs> they get started because for kids, like part of what was safe for me as a kid was believing to some degree that my parents were doing the right thing. If I had, you know, just being completely, you can't just be completely removed from that and then just be like, oh, cool. Like my entire (laughs) way of life is like a lie. And, you know, like I had to come to that as an adult base or as a teenager, I guess, and, you know, process that at a a more developmentally appropriate age. So anyway, that's Mm -hmm. why I ended up not continuing with that project. I was like, wait a minute, they need this. (laughs) Like, They need to believe to some degree. Anyway, so it's very complicated. No, it was extremely. I mean, you're, what you're talking about is attachment yeah. and, and we all kind of know the catchphrase like, oh, attachment. Right. But the, the whole point of attachment is survival. If right. you don't attach to your parents, you could die. And if your parents are unsafe, you still have to attach to them yeah. on a certain level. Like you're basically explaining that, right. Yeah. Like that, that mechanism. And no matter what we believe about the, the parents actions, et cetera, 
there, there's a truth to that. Now, of course, there's like, you know, layers upon layers of how society intervenes and when we intervene and why we intervene to, you know, remove a child or, or whatever from an environment and, and what's where that line is, you know, but ultimately children are designed to attach to their parents, regardless of how their parents treat them. And then it creates these issues where if you have to attach to them, they have to be right. Right. Because if they're not right, your whole survival, like the whole thing is threatened because then you'd have no one to follow and you're not old enough to take care of yourself. So they have to be right. And if they have to be right, then you must be get, getting beat up for a reason, right? You must be wrong. Yeah. And here starts, you know, the whole self-hatred, all sorts of stuff, right? That, you know, yeah. becomes a lifelong issue for a lot yeah. of us. <laughs> and I had an episode recently that was, I think it was titled, You Were Not a Bad Child. Because I they just reprocessed that multiple times where like, you know, I said to my therapist, something about, well, you know, of course I was like a bad kid. And she was like, were you though? And I was like, ah, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's that. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough even as an adult, right? Even once we are, like you said, developed enough where we could survive potentially without our parents, we still have that attachment to them. And therefore we still have that dynamic of, oh, well then they're right. What they did was right. Therefore there's something wrong with me. Yeah. It can't be them. Yeah. Can I ask like how you got interested in trauma as an area? Because I know obviously in therapeutic training, obviously everybody learns some, but it's like, it's a tough area to work in. So what kind of sent you in that direction? Well, I would consider myself a wounded healer. I think there's like a, an archetype of that. If you mm -hmm. get really into like Jungian psychology, which I've also nerded out on that a lot, <laughs> like Joseph Campbell and all that myths and stuff. I think I was attracted to it because I experienced trauma at multiple ages, multiple types of trauma. And even there's, you know, intergenerational trauma as, as far back as I know, and historical trauma. My mom's side of the family is, were Jewish refugees and they came here and the trauma lived on and how they treated their children or what they kind of allowed happen to their children. Uh, so I think on, on many levels and also unconscious, I I've been carrying that. Like I, it's part of who I am. And so I've never shied away from it. I worked as like a sexual assault response counselor where I'd be going to the emergency room during the exams and holding people's hands and comforting them through that. And I always was attracted to that work because I understand it. I understand what it's like to be harmed in that way. I understand what it's like to come from generations that that get harmed in that way. So it's just a natural thing to just work in it and uh, try to understand, well, how do you heal then? Okay, like you get hurt, right? Like in the human body, right? We get hurt and we heal. Like, why is it that we get traumatized and we don't, heal or we get stuck, right? And we see people fall into all sorts of, you know, destructive life patterns because of trauma. But when they break their arm, their arm heals. Like, I didn't really understand that. Um, and so I, you know, it was kind of a quest to be like, what is there ways people heal? Like, is healing even possible? And I think the answer is really complicated, but I guess in short, it's like, yes, kind of, <laughs> I guess, you know? Yes, kind of. <laughs> Uh, so far, I mean, you know, uh, yeah. So, so I think it was personal, but also became professional. With I, I think a lot of psychologists, therapists, you know, we all come mostly as wounded healers. I think there's probably a, a minority of us that maybe aren't, but a very small minority. Yeah, and I just saw recently. I was reading some of the studies around autistic people having higher rates of trauma. I know there's kind of like a range of studies out there. Um, is that like an area that you've looked into in particular, the like highly traumatized yeah. neurodivergent person? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because I started putting the pieces together, right? But okay, I can't be the only autistic person in my family. And, and that's the same with the people I'm working with too. Like, so what was it like to have a parent? with un undiagnosed, unrecognized, unaccommodated, et cetera, neurodivergence. 
And did that manifest in alcoholism and tra- and then the subsequent trauma? Or did that manifest in, you know, also being, uh, you know, left alone too young and, and open to potential abuse and neglect, et cetera. So I think it, it actually kind of added a piece to the puzzle that, that I don't think is like, first of all, none of this and any of my education was talked about, right? A master's degree in social work, did all these clinical hours, right? To become licensed. Never in my life did, and in any of my trauma courses, training, you know, I'm trained in EMDR, et cetera, somatic experiencing. No one ever was like, oh, by the way, you know, neurodivergent people, autistic people are way more at risk for this. If you look at exactly like what their lives have been like or historically, right? Like their families and like what they're coming into in this world, plus the fact that this world like is totally assaulting their senses and not designed for them. And, you know, yeah. So that was never talked about. So I kind of had to put the pieces together for myself and yeah, these studies coming out, you know, the statistics of, you know, how many people are, you know, assaulted, abused, et cetera. I mean, it's, it's jaw dropping. It's, it's not surprising, but it's like, why aren't we talking about this? I think I only hear autistic people talking about this, I think, you know, yeah, which I think is, is sad, you know, that we're kind of the only ones that I know about ringing the alarms going like, this is atrocious. Like we need to be protecting people more. We need to be educating everybody. But I, you know, it's just us saying that as far as I see. Yeah. And also, I mean, this is just something I think, cause I like to read actual studies when they're not behind a paywall, like I, I read as much <laughs> yeah. as I can and how much of the studies of autistic people, even when they're trying to do a good job, I'm like, you're just discovering signs of trauma. Like, right. Like you're finding in the study was basically, yes, there's a bunch of trauma signs, but like, those aren't autistic traits automatically. <laughs> you're just <laughs> studying a yeah. lot of traumatized people and finding signs of trauma. Like that's not shocking. Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm like, there's this whole side conversation of just like how difficult it is to get good research done without yeah. autistic people in the room, basically like helping with study design. Yeah. And I would say that probably is not the norm right now, right? right. Like considering how academia, et cetera, is structured and who's paying for the studies and who cares and who doesn't and all of that. Like, yeah, uh, I think those research studies would look a lot different if autistic people were more involved. Um, and I hope hope we are, you know, I hope more people get mobilized, right? Because we need this and we, we need this to protect ourselves and each other from, you know, we are vulnerable for so many reasons, but it it doesn't have to be that way. Right. Like it's like the environment is, is part is really driving a lot of that. If, If we, you know, were accommodated, if society was more neurodivergent friendly, um, if we were believed, when we right. come saying that we were harmed, if we had a more trauma-informed society, yeah, a lot I'm of this thinking, would be different. And thinking of a story a friend, an autistic friend, told me about being on like a school trip as a young kid and the school bus driver hitting on her like horrendously, like definitely harassment. And that when she told the teacher, the teacher was like, oh, you're just trying to get attention. And then like told the whole school bus that she was just trying. And I was like, that's the kind of shit that happens to autistic people. <laughs> like uh, I yeah. see the problem. The problem is in front of me. I'm speaking up to an authority figure and then I get punished, you know, yeah. for, for speaking up. And that is, you know, its own potentially form of trauma. Uh, well. Absolutely. I would yeah. say, yeah. There's some childism mixed in there. I mean, you know, that we as a society don't believe children when they tell us what's going on. Yeah. Oh, so much there too. I'm I'm extremely (laughs) passionate about the fact that America is now the only country in the world to not have ratified the UN, uh, like whatever the rights of a child or something. Declaration. um, Yeah. The declaration of the rights. Because the rights of the child. Yeah. We don't want to give up things like, you know, trying children as adults and then mm-hmm. making them do labor in prison. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Mad <laughs> about it. I'm mad about it. Yeah. Yes. So to kind of like, I know that this is an enormous question, but I think about this a lot as somebody who's, you know, been in a lot of therapy and like gotten a lot of help. There's this like, you know, we, we have this like individual focus, right? Where it's like, I am 
coming to the therapist and I'm working on my stuff, but you as an autistic therapist know how fucked up the structures are (laughs) and how like impossible feeling. Right. So like, you know, just one super classic example, like autistic burnout, for example, right. Like that you can't just like think your way out of that. Right. Like there's usually a structural issue with like the number of hours worked and all, you know, like needing rest. So I don't know. Again, this is a huge question, but like if this sparks anything for you, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts, like as a therapist working with neurodivergent people, like how do you kind of help people see that balance between like, we can't necessarily fix the external world, but like, here's maybe how you deal with it better. Like, how do you approach that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a boat we're all in, you know, whether we want to be here or not, like it's, it's one of those things where like, there's parts of life, like that you have like influence over, like your, your sphere of influence or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like the structural things of, although we all can do something, not one of us can do everything. Right. Like we can't just like change the system overnight. And my background's in social work, which, you know, is also its own kind of interesting field of trying to like enact structural changes, but also being kind of rooted in oppression and also like the problem, right? Like, so like trying to be the solution, but you're from the problem. And I feel like with therapy, I sometimes notice that, that in some ways capitalism or the patriarchy, whatever, you know, both, all of them want to use therapy to make their workers more productive in a way. Like sometimes I feel like I I kind of notice that therapy is, is, is used in that way. And even the types of therapy, like kind of the old school therapists would call these like gimmicks, right? Like we're just trying to like, kind of get you like less depressed enough, right. To like work the machines, you know, like just get you like functional enough, which like, that's really not the point of therapy, you know, like the point of therapy is like, how can we like have like, an enjoyable or like, okay, experience of life where you can experience it, you know, like, truly like arrive for it, right? With its ups and downs, like, can can you get to a place where you can do that? Not if you can do your job or not, or like contribute to society to be a productive, whatever, but like, hey, like, this is a short thing, like, we're just here, like, can can we like just, you know, can you do the things that you're passionate about? Or like, can you move life in the direction that's like your toward your values? Like, is that possible? Like, if you're burnt out, like, okay, like, can we get you rest so that like, you can find the energy to like, live the life you want? Like, how can we do that? Like, so I really tried to focus on that, because that's like, I'm really like, kind of, you said big question, like, I'm like, the most existential human, like in the world, you know, like, I can't talk about the weather, you know, like, I just want to sit and talk about like, what do you like, what if you died in like five years? Like, What do you want to do? You know, like, that's all I think about, right? And, and partially, I'm lucky, because I've had a lot of like, near death experiences that have kind of changed my brain, where I, that's, that's how I think all the time. And I've kind of tricked myself into thinking that's, you know, like, an important thing of a part of therapy right to like get everyone to kind of think a little like just a little bit like that of like hey like you're here for a short time like how can this be better like how can you enjoy it more like what's what do you want out of your life you know and there's just and in the and and that is in the context of the fact that the system is not trying to help you do that it's not and it's going to like maybe actively try to thwart you from doing that so like okay like that's the that's what's that's what we're in like what are we going to do you know, like we can't fix that right now. And I'm not trying to get you to adapt to it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like accept it and be like, oh yeah, the system's like that. Like I should just be an obedient worker and like just whatever, you know, not that either. Like how do we thrive in a system that's built to make us not thrive? You know, if it's not possible, fine, but at least maybe a little bit better, you know? Yeah. Oh, I think, yeah, that's, I think about all of this so much <laughs> Just the, and that exact right like that if you um okay so i'm going to use the example of me growing my own like business just like anything i've done as a freelancer you know when i've worked part-time and freelancing part-time or like being a working artist like all of these things the moment that you start to excel or do well as soon as you get into these spaces online i don't know if you've experienced this but like there's all these spaces online that are like oh you know to grow your small business blah blah blah. and then Mm -hmm. it's all this like for the most part stuff that i absolutely hate like uh, in a variety of ways but all this stuff about money you know it's like oh like you just like 
You need to make as much money as possible so you can help more people later. And I'm like, no, like that's literally, that's the system that I hate. And like, yes, I have to survive <laughs> yeah. capitalism and I, I have to do some of these things. And like, I can, you know, I can sell or I can, you know, I can like put myself out there and write a bio or I can do the things I need to do, but I don't want to just like buy in whole hog to the just like horrible <laughs> shit yeah. that I hate so much, which I know like from re- watching your content that like, this is something you think about, you know, as anyway. So that's like, I think about that so much. It's like, how do we thrive within the system without like automatically harming other people by stepping on them on the ladder on the way up. Yeah. Like how to do it without selling out in a way, you yeah. know, like how to be authentic and how to still like, you know, I have like an extreme amount of empathy. Like it's very uncomfortable. It's hard. You know, <laughs> I've tried to harness it, you know, and use it for my job, which is great, you know, and I'm, a, I appreciate their fuses and I can get paid for it using my gift, but you know, it's extremely hard. And I think the reason why I chose social work is I was trying to kind of manipulate myself into not becoming like a, like a, like a stockbroker or something, because I get so caught up, like in like the fervor and like thinking, Oh, I, you know, like, Oh, it's scarcity. I need to hoard money. And then maybe I'll be able to help people later. Like that same kind of thing. And it's like, but you're hurting people on the way. Like you're part of the, you're going to use the problem to solve the problem. Like that doesn't make sense, you know? And I'm really trying to step out of that myself. And I think you see my struggle, you know, cause I'll post about it, but like, it's super hard, you know, like all of us grew up with capitalism as like the, like, you know, higher whatever that we've all like told to, you know, bow down and just do it. And so to step away from that in any fashion, especially already, like I don't fit in in society anyway, right? Like just in general, like as I live, you know? And so I'm always questioning everything. And it's like, it's always like, oh, like I can't even just like be the, you know, worker that accumulates money and like has that comfortable life. I I, I just literally like physically can't do it, you know? Like I have yeah. to challenge it in some way or deviate, you know? And so entrepreneurship, is one way, you know, but there's so many others, you know, like the whole quiet quitting and stuff. Like you don't have to do everything they tell you to do, you know, like I think we, we can, we can have a little more freedom. It's going to, it's uncomfortable and we have to fight for it and we won't, you know, follow what everyone's asking of us, but kind of like the, the only way it's worth it. I think, you know, it's just super hard. Yeah. Another question because this actually came up when I was talking to another therapist recently a therapist friend that she was saying that a lot of the work she ends up doing is like helping people work with the trauma of bad therapists you know for like neurodivergent people so like for you know neurodivergent autistic people coming to her and having had bad therapists is that something you encounter? And if so, like, how do you, I'm sure everyone's different, but you know, like what, what's like the general approach for that? Cause I know that some of my listeners have been burned in therapy. Yes. Uh, my first approach is to completely believe the person and, uh, listen to what they have to say, you know, because I've, I've heard, I've heard all sorts of stuff. I'm actually shocked. Like I, I shouldn't be shocked because I'm like, of course, like therapists are coming from like the mainstream paradigm and like, you know, of, of course they're not gonna, you know, engage in the way that I think they should. I guess I just hold this higher standard maybe because they're educated, but I get this, you know, then I go and, and see doctors and I, I also encounter the same things. So I'm like, okay, like, all right, because it's the system created our education. Like it makes sense, right? I just, yeah, I think it's hard to hear sometimes because I expect better from therapists and I think it's just extremely disappointing. And I really try to allow space for people to process that because I think that it is so hard to go into therapy, like to be vulnerable on that level, like especially if you're autistic or neurodivergent, like it's so hard to like be around people. Okay. Like, first of all, right. Even like people we really know, right? There's all these like social cues and all sorts of things. And we're like deciding like if we're in an unmasking journey of like who, what parts of ourselves we're going to like present and like trying not to like overthink too much and all this stuff, right? And so you go to like a therapist, this person who 
essentially there's like all these expectations you have built up in your mind of like what the experience is going to be like. You're going to like open up to this person, right? Because that's like part of healing. And so you go through all of that. Maybe it's taken you a very long time to even like go to the first session because of how intense that experience can be for us, right? And then they let you down like that, you know, or they minimize or invalidate you or um, gaslight you, you know, and just tell you, oh, just think this different thing or like forgive your parents. I don't know, whatever, like something that like is like makes absolutely no sense to me. But okay, yeah, so they do that, right? And this is really common, unfortunately. I mean, the fact that it doesn't turn off some people from therapy, I think is like a miracle. Because like Mm -hmm. you just, it's like you opened yourself up and someone was like, like the worst outcome happened. Someone was like, oh, there's, you're not autistic. There's nothing wrong with you. Like, oh, you're just making it up. Or like, oh, you're just whatever. You just have borderline personality disorder. You just have anxiety. It's like you went through all of that to like open up to someone. And that's how you got treated. Instead of like, oh, you think you're autistic? Like, let's talk more about that. Like what, what, what's going on? What do you read? Like, what, what do you connect with? You know, like no curiosity, you know? So that's why those websites, like we were talking about, right? Like even the one that, you know, isn't super optimized are so important because at least for me, if I know that my therapist is saying they're autistic, especially like if they, they, they are like announcing that self-diagnosis is fine. Like that they're like super accepting of like how people come to know that they're autistic. Like, Sounds like that person, hopefully, right, like, will not treat me like that. But the average therapist, it's concerning, you know, and I don't think there's train. I honestly don't think there's enough training, right? Like I said, in my education, there was none, even if there was, I don't know, I think it's in the water, right? It's, it's it's part of the problem, right? It's cultural issue. Well, and then, you know, you add on to that other identities, which, you know, it's like, what my podcast is about is like these, you know, yeah. multiple and, and just how, you know, like, for example, I've had multiple, I would say more like, I would say my psychiatrists probably more so than my therapists have just been like, mm-hmm. Oh, what's gender about? Like, well, you don't, you don't uh, like that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know and I, yeah. I have, I have thankfully not had terrible experiences around it, but even like, I don't know, I, I had like a, I was excited because I had a psychiatrist who was a gay guy and I was like, oh, so he's going to be like, d- you know, down with all the, li-. and he just like, didn't really, he was just like, oh, explain it to me. And I was like, oh man, like, because <laughs> it's not right. It's not just the, yeah. the negative things. It's also just the, like constantly having to explain yourself. And like the, I find that exhausting to have to like constantly be like listing my identities and explaining them to people. It's like, sometimes I just want to exist in a space and have, and so that's the nice thing when you find somebody that has, you know, especially multiple identities overlapping with you, you may Mm -hmm. be totally different people, but at least like, you don't have to explain that thing. Like they get it. And that, that in itself helps me then relax and, you know, build that trusting relationship. That's part of the like complex PTSD journey is being able to do that. And it took me many therapists before I well, first of all, I didn't know that's what I was supposed to be doing, but also like <laughs> to, to feel comfortable enough or to find somebody yeah. where there was enough overlap where I felt like that could actually happen. Yeah. And I, I wish it was easier to find someone and you didn't have to go through all that, you know, because it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, tell someone my story, invalidated yeah. or whatever, misunderstood, or I'm exhaustingly have to explain to them over and over again who I am and why what I'm saying makes sense or the yeah. complexities of of my humanity, you know, yeah. that, yeah. And then like another, you know, potentially difficult factor for autistic people is if we're used to being treated badly and we don't know what it's even supposed to feel like to have a mutually respectful relationship with an authority figure, like to not even, I I've definitely had that experience early in, again, like not just therapy, but like with authority figures in general, where I was just kind of like, well, they're supposed to treat me like shit, right? Like they're supposed to try to manage me and control me. Cause that was <laughs> my experience of authority figures. And like realizing uh, the first time I fired a psychiatrist, I was just like, oh, I can do that. I'm allowed to just be like, 
you are not keeping up with the research and you keep disagreeing with me about things that I know to be factually true about my condition. So I'm not (laughs) going to work with you anymore. And I didn't know you could do that. Right. Like that Mm -hmm. nobody at the beginning, the beginning of my mental health journey, it was more of a, like, you are, you know, it was like hierarchical and that's how I viewed it and, and not as a partnership. Yeah, I think we're all trained, right? Like doctors, et cetera, like medical professionals, like you don't challenge them. You know, they're they're educated, right? But mm-hmm. not necessarily, right? You may know more about, right? It sounds like, right? You know more about what you're coming in with than they do. And then you have to educate them or then they, and then you educate them and they maybe are like, don't believe you or whatever, have like pre-existing beliefs about it or were educated differently at school. Yeah. And a lot of people don't update their training, right? You know, they, they get the bare minimum CEUs and that's it, you know, and they're operating from how they were trained 20 years ago. Yeah. I definitely had the, the one like old white man therapist that I had, I was, I was sometimes just sitting there, like covering my own mouth being like, <laughs> Oh my God, is that was like in a, in school. So it was like the school provided, you know, oh, I was just yeah. like, Oh my God, this guy is not reading. <laughs> Yes. And what's interesting about therapy in general is like society is going in a certain direction with therapy. Like it's getting very like mechanical almost, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's, it's just really interesting how, like, even as we're progressing, it's like, we're not necessarily progressing in like a good way either, you know, like the update of therapy. Can you say more about that? Cause I'm super curious to hear your perspective. Yeah. Like I've noticed. So that like to get paid as a therapist, you have like two options, maybe three, right? You can work with people who can afford your private pay rate, which limits you to a certain section of the population. And you have to be okay with that. And um, that's a struggle for me because I want to be able to serve people from all different economic backgrounds. So, so that if you feel like I do right now, you're needing to take insurance, (laughs) And insurance has a whole different view on what therapy should be and how long it should last and what you should talk about and things like that. Um, and, and that's been happening for a while. And then there's kind of like this more new modern idea that like everything that matters can be measured. If you can't measure it, it doesn't matter. And you should be able to resolve issues. So for example, if you're coming into therapy and you're autistic, well, that presents a real problem for that type of therapy because there's no like resolution right you're still going to be autistic whenever you're done with therapy or maybe you're never going to be done with therapy and they don't like that right that's they want to see measured results they want to test you for anxiety depression and they want to see those numbers come down there's just a real issue with that because there's so much about this like first of all I can't even verbalize (laughs) you know about my experience right or even like you're saying like your progression from seeing everyone as like an authority figure in the healthcare space, right. To harnessing some like empowerment, right. And be like, no, like I'm actually hiring you, you know, like no one's gonna be able to measure that, but that's huge. You know what I mean? Like that's a breakthrough, but that's not going to come out on a scale or, you know, unless they like fine tune some empowerment scale and then you test your empowerment before test your empowerment afterwards. And we sign off and say that was successful therapy, you know, like, it's just going in that direction. So uh, it's interesting how like, not only are therapists not getting educated and perhaps the things that you and I both think are like extremely important, like how systems impact people and like, you know, intersecting identities and gender and neurodivergence. Instead, they're being trained in measurements and how to, you know, satisfy insurance companies and mitigate risk, you know, and things like that. And you know, it's just taking up a lot of energy and that's the way to get paid. So it creates this problem where you're kind of shackled to the system that again, doesn't have really what probably most of us would consider like the important part of therapy, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's so true. And so good. And like explains, I'm now, I'm just kind of like processing, like looking back at some of the experiences that I had where they were, you know, handing me basically worksheets that they were trying to get, you know, that they wanted to see those numbers changing or whatever. And I remember Mm -hmm. just being like, you know, I'm like 20 and I don't know I'm autistic yet. And I'm just like, I don't even know how to answer these questions. (laughs) Like these these, I don't know if these even apply to me. I think I'm doing this assignment wrong. So anyway, yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then another thing that I've kind of like heard therapists talking about, and in particular, um, one person that I've worked with and had on my podcast before, whose name is Linda Tai. She's a therapist and also does like group somatic trainings and stuff. Um, one of the things she talked about that really stuck with me was that um, one of her goals in therapy is to help get people into group. And I think that's in part coming from, because she, she works in part in substance uh, recovery. Oh. So, I mean, that's like a you know particular thing, obviously, but that like in general, like in this CPTSD idea of like, you know, not having trouble engaging with any of this stuff really like in a real yeah. way that like being able to do that in a group is so, so mm-hmm. powerful. Um, anyway, that's just like a thought that came to mind. I don't know if that's anything you do in particular, but I remember hearing that and just being like, oh, that makes so much sense. And I've been thinking yeah. about that a lot for neurodivergent people in particular, because, you know, when I've done some one-on-one work with folks who are, you know, working on a particular thing around their autistic brain, I'm like, I can yeah. tell them all day that what they're experiencing is totally normal. And that like every <laughs> neurodivergent person has this problem, but they're like, no, it's me. I'm uniquely broken. And I'm like, but, yeah. but in a group setting, they can like hear other people anyway. So that's not something I'm even currently doing. I was just like, wow, there's like such a need for that as well. This like, yeah. 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 I've thought about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's something I'm going to move into. I think it's also, you know, presents its unique challenges, right. Of like, right. you know, making sure everyone gets to take up, you know, enough space for themselves, et cetera. But I think like, I, I had a video on TikTok. It's like my most popular video. <laughs> okay. It's, um, you know, like basically the idea of like, you get lonely as an autistic person and then you go into a crowd and then you're like, ah, this sucks, you know, like, but that's like kind of the struggle, you know, like to be both lonely, but having difficulty finding people to connect with, you know, because the holistic culture, right. The non-autistic culture that we live in is, it doesn't fit, right. It doesn't accommodate that. So it's like, but you want to be around people. And so I do think group work has like a, a, has an answer for some of that, right. Of maybe smaller groups would probably what I, what I would do instead of like, you know, maybe like three or four people <laughs> or something, try to make it manageable. Um, and maybe a lot of space in between it, like <laughs> every two weeks or something or a month, because I think that we do need other people, you know, like, I know I talk to a lot of people. I wish I could just live in a cave forever. Right. And I understand that. And there's a lot of times where I kind of look around, I'm like, why didn't I just like, to like I don't know in the middle of the woods by myself you know but I think it is healing to know like part of my process of even discovering I was autistic like the reason why I think I I'm doing so much better post self-diagnosis is because I found other autistic people to connect with and if I didn't have that community I think this would be a hundred times more difficult yes so there we really need that and I understand it's hard. Like those two things can be like true at the same time, you yeah. know? So like, I think we need groups. I think we will try to avoid groups too. Even me as a therapist, I will have a like first reaction to avoid that group. I already know that. It doesn't mean we don't need it though. And it doesn't mean yeah. that I'm not going to enjoy it. You know, it's like almost before every therapy session, I always go like, ah, I'm going to be with a person, you know? Cause it's like, it's hard, but like, I love it too, you know? So yeah. it's like, Sometimes the medicine is hard to swallow, but I do think groups like absolutely. And I see my future in doing it, although it'll be challenging. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think about it too, because like a lot of the online spaces I've been in that are autistic specific, basically all of them have shut down at some point because either the mods were overwhelmed or like there was too much infighting or, or it, and it's because we're also traumatized, I think like, yeah, it's, yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and I mean, our trauma is all rubbing together and there's nobody like officially facilitating who actually can handle that. And so then they're getting yeah. overwhelmed too. And I just see this over and over and I'm like, well, I technically have this facilitation skill and I could mm-hmm. help with that, but I don't want to do that as my, my full-time thing. Like, I don't, I don't want that to be where I'm putting all my social energy, but I am thinking about this too. Like how, yeah. How can I like maybe help support in a group some, or, you know, kind yeah. of be there without, you know, cause ultimately a lot of what needs to happen in that is a lot of like individual trauma healing, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. the people who's, yeah. you know, and, and it's just, it's not 
it's literally not accessible for a lot of people in a lot of ways, even just in terms of having like the capacity to engage wholeheartedly in therapy because it slows you down in the rest of your life while you're like emotionally processing yeah. a lot. And that's something yeah. too that I like, I'm trying to tell um, someone close to me about, cause they're like, oh yeah, I'll just jump into therapy. And I'm like, you have not processed any of your terrible childhood. Like this is going to be hard and you're, it's going to yeah. literally be work and you maybe won't be able to work two jobs and also be in school while you are starting therapy. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Yes. I think we have this expectation that therapy is like a self-improvement project mm -hmm. and it isn't necessarily doing that. It's like peeling back a bunch of layers and you never finished and yeah. you're just like a work in progress forever it doesn't mean it's not healing but it's not mm -hmm. like it's gonna oh but it's gonna make me more you know charismatic at work and i'm you know like it's gonna have right. some like outcome like there's yeah for me it's healing in the sense that i'm doing a lot of grieving and grieving yeah. is healing but it sucks it's not <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's not like <laughs> drinking a smoothie that i like <laughs> yeah this is not like going to the gym, you know what I mean? Right. Like, oh, I'm going to the gym and I'm going to, you know, my muscles are going to be strong. It's like, this yeah. might beat you up for a while. This, you know, this is like getting a nose job or whatever. Like, you know, your eyes are going to be black and blue for a while. And then who knows? Like the healing process might go right. Like, who knows? Like, it's just like, and there's like layers upon layers of trauma. Like trauma is not just like one thing. And um, yeah, so yeah. Perhaps, you know, going to therapy would cause someone to look at their two jobs in school and go, I don't want to do any of that anymore. You know, like I want to go into the woods and scream all day. You know, it's like we don't know what we what will happen when you get into the trauma and how we'll feel. So I think that's wise, you know, that therapy is not something you could just nonchalantly just walk into. If you're really well ready to do the work, it's like uh, it can be incredibly uh, life altering in very uncomfortable ways. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's really important for people to know, especially people with sensitive nervous systems who may yeah. need more rest than usual. <laughs> yeah, I think that like, I don't know why this is just coming to my head, like for the last five minutes, but like, I feel like what neurodivergent people need is safe therapy. You know what I mean? Like even the group, like you were saying, like how yep. traumas were rubbing with each other. Like we can all come in with trauma to the group. Like what's important is that the space is safe. And I think what's important with any work, like, and we're talking about like therapy being such like intense work is that you feel a sense of safety that your therapist knows what they're doing, that you don't go too deep, too fast, that you're really able to like do it in a way that's safe for you. And that doesn't mean it won't dramatically affect your life or be difficult. It will, but you're not being like thrown into the deep end of the pool and someone's like, ha, oh, like swim now, you know, like here's some therapy tools. Like, you know, you can do it. Here's a worksheet, you know, it's like, it's like, it's way more personal than that. It's like walking together into like the shallow end of the pool and like constantly me checking in, like, are you okay? Like, how is this? Like, what about this? Are you noticing this? Like really like going slow, intentional, but you are going in. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And that's yeah, the, the good therapists have had do that. Right. It's like this constant, mm -hmm. it's consent. Right? Yeah. It's like emotional consent for the things that yeah. you now are going to go off and process for the rest of the week. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 That's so cool. Awesome. Well, I do want to wrap up for the sake of time. And my last two questions for you are one where people can find you on the internet. And then also <laughs> if you have any advice for yourself at another age. Well, the easy one is where people can find me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um presenceperinatal.com. Uh, that's my website. And then on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, I'm like presence perinatal. Uh, so I think maybe Facebook, I'm Danielle Aubin, LCSW. Um, either way, I think you might find me if you just search presence perinatal. I'm pretty active on TikTok when I have the mental and emotional bandwidth. I think it's great because I feel like I can access more people and somehow that the... TikTok works with my brain better. I don't know why. And like Instagram doesn't work with my brain so well. So um, yeah, so you'll find me on there and and you'll notice when I um, am less burnt out and have a lot of energy because I'll post a bunch of stuff and then you won't see me for a while. I have two kids. So I'm also, you know, I get burnt out just in general. <laughs> uh, so, so that's where you can find me. 
As far as any age, oh, I would love to go back to myself, maybe even at age five or six and be like, you, you have something called autism. You're autistic. There is something about you that is different. There's, you didn't, you know, like, that's why kids might not understand you. And they're putting potato bugs down your shirt and, you know, saying mean stuff to you. And that's why you read Shakespeare at age six and try to uh, direct Shakespeare plays all the time. And no one understands what you're talking about. And you didn't learn, you know, and, and, you know, you didn't learn math until you were like 13. Like, that's why, you know, Um, it's not that you're broken. That's what I wish I could tell myself. And that's what I'm, I get to tell my kids, which is kind of cool. You know, I get to tell them that they also are autistic and they also, you know, are experiencing the world a little differently than other people and that that's okay. That there's, you know, the tapestry of human diversity, right? In all facets. And it's awesome, whichever facet they express, you know? And so I guess I get to travel back in time a little bit in the sense of being able to raise two people. Oh, that's so lovely. And I, it's, I have so many feelings about watching people parent autistic kids. Well, I'm just Mm -hmm. like, oh, like both the part of me that's like, I didn't get that, but also how amazing it is and how like it absolutely is breaking the cycle. And just, I'm so, so happy to see that in the world. It's really lovely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And we will put all those links in the show notes. Um, Yeah. Anything else you want people to hear or leave with? No, uh, just, I want to thank you, especially for doing the work you're doing. I think, you know, those of us that are out there, we're out there, please, you know, follow us and know that we're making this content for you so that you know that you're not alone and that there's people out here who are trying to make this world better. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here and taking a moment for yourself. I hope the episode sparked some ideas or possibilities for your own journey. If you're looking for gentle ongoing support, I invite you to join the Like Your Brain community. It's a non-hierarchical and no-pressure space to share our lived experiences together and learn from each other. Ask authentic questions, share your own wisdom, and be a part of building a safer space for folks with identities that are often marginalized. And if you're not yet ready to be seen in a group space, we've all been there, you can join the podcast support tier, which has a private podcast feed with some of the learnings from Like Your Brain and additional podcast content, so you can absorb on your own terms and timeline. We're here whenever you're ready. The link is in the show notes or at patreon.com slash Mattia. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash M-A-T-T-I-A. Have a great week.